welcome to the latest episode of the Greens West podcast, Fertilizer Emissions Behind the Numbers. I'm your host, Jeff Clovis. Grains West Magazine is co-published by Alberta Barley and the Alberta Wheat Commission, and it's our goal to connect farmers, food, and ideas. As always, if you'd like to read our exclusive online-only stories or subscribe to our monthly e-newsletter, you can visit GrainsWest.com. The fall issue of Grains West features the cover story, Fertilizer Frenzy, an in-depth examination of the global increase in fertilizer prices. Today's podcast is a companion piece that's on the Canadian government's ambitious reduction target for fertilizer emissions. It's a hot topic in egg circles. Farmers have questions about the agronomic and cost implications. Trevor Back went all the way to the country's top agricultural office for answers. Even though it's the shoulder season between harvesting and seeding, there's never a dull moment in Canadian agriculture. For the last several months, the federal government's fertilizer emissions reductions target is top of mind for many. In December 2020, the federal government proposed to reduce fertilizer emissions reductions by 30% come 2030. This conversation has recently roared back to life and is being hotly criticized by many in agriculture. The government has attempted to counter what it calls misinformation with more information. One thing remains clear. Everyone is talking about the 2030 target. We heard from three key voices on this hot topic that is the emissions reduction target, including the Federal Minister of Agriculture, Marie-Claude Bibault. She was the minister that initially delivered the news. Andre Harp, an Alberta farmer and current chair of the Grain Growers of Canada, as well as Karen Proud, the Fertilizer Canada president and CEO. There are no fence sitters on this topic and all three share their insights and unique perspectives. Andre Harp is a grain farmer northwest of Grand Prairie, Alberta at Valhalla. Harp is also the Grain Growers of Canada's board chair. He's familiar with unique perspectives, whether that's from the seat of a combine or sitting down with parliamentarians in Ottawa, which he's done frequently over the years. Andre, as a farmer, how did you initially react when you heard the 30% emissions reduction number and proposal first mentioned publicly? You know, it's it's really interesting. Probably, I think I have had probably the same reaction as a lot of farmers had is, where is this coming from? You know, it gets back, you know, that's probably the number one thing is, where is this coming from and why do we need it? Because it gets back to, as farmers, we don't we don't tend to speak very much about what we do. We just do things, you know, whether it's fertilizer, uh, I shouldn't say fertilizer reduction, but it gets back to we're always trying to reduce the amount of fertilizer we use because it costs a lot of money to use. We are always looking at ways to better put fertilizer on. Then, you know, to get the get more, I guess, you know, punch punch out of every dollar we, we use. So, you know, I guess that's my initial reaction is, is where is this coming from and why do we need it? In the context of sustainability, which a lot of this proposal relates to, and of course climate change, how would you describe the way you farm? We were uh, lucky enough, or I guess uh, you know, very happy to celebrate uh, 100 years of farming on the same farm, or my family farming on the same farm. And the only way to do that is not only for myself to be sustainable, but actually for the generations before me to be sustainable. So, you know, it gets back to, you know, it gets, I would, I would say we're sustainable. Uh, you know, I've been 
you know, I've been doing what I, what we would call say the four R's, uh, for a few years now, but it gets back to, you know, and, and I think, uh, we've been uh, zero tilling for like, I don't know how many years for a long, long time we have been, but adopting over the years methods that make us what we think are more sustainable and, and are, and are sustainable. So it, uh, I, you know, I would say we zero till right now, uh, you know, we variable rate our fertilizer, uh, you know, so we we're trying to do the things, but it gets back to, we're trying to use the, use our fertilizer in the best ways possible. For next spring for planting 2023 and the upcoming growing season, is it realistic? The idea that you could reduce your emissions by 30% by adopting new or existing practices at your farm? You know, I don't think there's going to be a lot of things that I could do right now to, uh, you know, to to change because it gets back to I, I've made those changes already or a lot of those changes. You know, are there things that uh, that we could do differently? Probably, but you know, the probably one of the most important things that we, that we need to talk about is basically where are we at now? And I guess that's where the, and you know, that's I have trouble with 30%. We don't know where that, we, we don't have a baseline that we're coming off of, but we don't know, we don't know where we, where we are at now. So we have to, you know, that's one of the big things we have to focus on where are we at now? And then where can we go from, from the future? Cause like you say for myself, and I think for a lot of farmers to, to drastically, you know, and, uh, uh, a thirty percent emission cut is uh, is is I think fairly drastic. There's new technologies have to be made. So, so you know we can't do this do this overnight. Uh, new technologies have to be have to come out. You know even some of the uh, types of plants we grow. You know basically you know we've we've heard of. Uh, wheat that can make its own nitrogen, you know, you know, like, like pulses, you know, it gets back to, well, we're going to need products like that to, to come up with a 30% emission. Is there a fear that although the target and program is of a voluntary nature today, that one day it could become compulsory? So let's put it this way. It's on the federal government's mind. So we need to talk about it. Um, you know, and actually, if you've looked what we've done over the past few months, we've actually gone from when it was first introduced that it was a 30% uh, reduction in fertilizer usage. Uh, you know, and it went down from it went from there to you no, know, we're just talking about emissions. To lately, it's actually just voluntary, and I think that's because of the very hard work that uh, a lot of the farm groups have done. And but at the same time, uh, we need to we need to keep on with that. You know, whether whether we like it or not, um, this is at the top of a lot of people's minds. And, uh, you know, so we need to continually show that we are doing the best that we can do. So, uh, you know, is this going to become mandatory? You know, and uh, that's who knows. Uh, but let's put it this way. At the same time, it's out there. I think we need to pay attention to it, and we need to keep on paying attention to it. The Grain Growers of Canada, where you sit as its current board chair, has been vocal about this issue, absolutely, and Mm -hmm. have made it very clear that this is 
of great concern to the farmers it represents coast to coast. Why is that? It is basically because it gets back to, you know, one of the things I've seen change over my, you know, my farming career is, uh, you know, when I first started, uh, you know, there was a big push for agronomics and basically how you farmed. Uh, but, you know, the biggest thing right now, uh, and it, or to me has become as equal as how we grow things, uh, is basically is the regulation that we have to watch out for. Because it gets back to, you know, let's, and I guess green growers, is, uh, we've taken a stance, you know what, is don't, let's not run away from it, but let's talk about it. And we need to talk about it and we need to be involved in it because at the end of the day, we do see regulation that does come down that basically, and you know, this, this 30% emission um, number, basically everybody's, where is this coming from? Oh, we don't know, but you know what? We need to be involved in the discussion and uh, any whether you know, whether you're uh, growing barley in Nova Scotia, or Ontario or Alberta, it, it still it affects all of us, and uh, you know we have to be very careful. Is the voice of the grain growers being not only heard but actually taken into consideration by the federal government today? Yes, we are. You know, we're being consulted with now, and uh, the, you know the interesting thing is it gets back to I, I think. And it doesn't matter which government is in power or who is in power. You have to show uh, a willingness to work with them. And, uh, you know, I think you will be listened to. And uh, I think uh, Green Growers actually as a whole has been very effective over the last couple of years. What is your message for the federal government today as farmers across the prairies are in the thick of harvest and we head into the winter? I was uh, uh, fortunate enough to be able to meet uh, with the Deputy Prime Minister a few weeks ago. And uh, my message to her was that, you know what, you need to communicate with the growers in Canada. You need to be able to listen to us, and you need to be able to work with us. Uh, you know, I, I think we're willing to do things, but we have to work together to do this. To me, there's always common sense you know, there's there, there's com there's common sense uh, issues that you know that we can do things if if you listen to the farmer. And actually, there's a lot. You know, there's probably things that, that can be done at the farm gate. You know, that uh, it might not take a lot of work, but it, that can actually be very effective. Yeah, you know, one example probably comes to mind, and you know, it's cover crops. Uh, it wasn't you know in this past winter there was a big. Uh, big push, you know, just do cover crops. Well, you know what? I'm from northern Alberta. Uh, there, you know, this has been a, this is a great fall. Uh, obviously, it's a little earlier than uh, usual. But, you know, there's a lot of times uh, that basically we get our first crop off just in time for to see a snowfall. So, you know, we don't have time to, to seed cover crops. Uh, there are other areas that cover crops, uh, you know, the, we don't have enough rainfall in the fall for cover crops to be effective, but there are other areas where cover crops might be very effective. So we have to look at common sense uh, results to to be able to uh, to work together. But I think that's a big thing. Is I you know did my message to the government is you know what let's work together on this. Let's come up with you know, common sense results. 
for for an issue that you know that's that's on up in front of everybody's minds right now. You can imagine that Fertilizer Canada may not have exactly jumped for joy at the news of a 30% reductions target when it was floated by the Liberal government. President and CEO of Fertilizer Canada, Karen Proud, along with others in industry, proposed that a 14% reduction was possible by 2030. That's 16% less than what the government envisioned. Still, she's the first to point out that 4R nutrient stewardship programs are alive and well in Canada. They are both adopted and regularly used by thousands of Canadian grain farmers. First off, Karen, please explain Fertilizer Canada's position on fertilizer. Well, fertilizers are probably the most important agricultural input in the world. Uh, They are responsible for 50% of the world's food supply and are just getting more and more important as our population grows. So with that said, what is your response to the federal government's proposed emissions reduction target of 30% by 2030? So uh, we have actually just recently responded to the government's proposal. So the government has gone out with a consultation seeking input into their um, 30% target. We conducted a study as part of our submission to the federal government in response to to their target. And I think um, our study demonstrated pretty clearly that uh, we can make significant uh, reductions in uh, emissions from fertilizer use um, at the 14% uh, level. And we feel that this is sort of realistic and achievable between now and 2030. Now, how is it that Fertilizer Canada and other industry players came up with the 14% determination? So we did this study, uh, we funded it uh, along with the Canola Council of Canada um, and had researchers looking at uh, specifically the use of uh, the 4R nutrient stewardship program. So this is a, a program that farmers uh, implement to uh, put in place best management practices for managing fertilizers on farm. And, and it's been around for over a decade. We looked at that program knowing that it's probably our best chance at reducing emissions from fertilizer use. And we looked at how the uptake has been since the program was introduced. Because there's various levels, it's quite a complex program. So we looked at how farmers were integrating those best management practices at the most advanced level. And as we looked at the trend in adoption and where we would need to go for uh, emissions reductions, we felt, or, or, or our researchers felt, that um, based on the level of adoption that we felt could be achieved by 2030, that's how the 14% uh, percent emissions reduction. So it really came down to practically how can this be implemented uh, in still an aggressive way, but where we feel uh, it could be uh, a reasonable approach. So is that to say that 30% is simply unreasonable, given that what your research found is that with an aggressive approach, 14% is achievable? Well, so what our research really looked at is is um, 
the the advanced levels of these um, best management practices. And if you think about the fact that right now in Ontario and Quebec, we have sort of 10 to 15 percent of those practices um, being uh, adopted now and about 10 to 25 percent in the prairies. To get to 30 percent between now and, and 2030, we would need 100 percent of the of acres in Ontario and Quebec adopting these advanced practices and 60 to 70 percent um, of these best practices being adopted or, or acres being adopted in Western Canada. We didn't feel that that's reasonably achievable given where we are today. The 14% is still very aggressive, but we feel we could achieve that uh, between now and 2030. The 14% figure, what percentage of farmers in the provinces you just mentioned would have to start adopting such practices to hit that 14% figure? So we didn't look at farmers. We looked at acres of land. So um, the total acres that would have to be adopting these practices to hit the 14% in Ontario and Quebec, that's um, 26 to 45%. And the reason it's such a wide range is it, it's specific to those best management practices, some being adopted more widely than others. So we're talking Ontario and Quebec, 26 to 45%. They're only at 10 to 15% now. So that's quite a significant increase. And in the prairies, we're looking at 28 to 50% of those uh, total acres. And again, they're only at 10 to 25% now. So still very aggressive. Um, but it does show us that we have uh, room to move between now and 2030. Regarding the 14% estimate, the minister recently said industry can still do more if they adopt other sustainable practices. And some of those practices were things such as legumes and rotation, cover crops, even less tillage, biofertilizers, 4R, clean tech, all these kinds of things. Isn't that already happening today? So some of those practices are actually part of the 4R uh, uh, stewardship program. So using different uh, types of fertilizers, more increased efficiencies. We've already seen um, zero till being implemented long, long time ago. Um, there is... Uh, there has been a lot of talk about planting more legumes, but you also have to look at the business of farming and um, how many acres can we reasonably dedicate to other crops and what is the market for those crops. So we still have to, and that's the beauty of the 4R Nutrient Stewardship Program that we developed um, well over a decade ago, is it really looks at that balance between increasing uh, crop yields, increasing farm profitability, while also decreasing emissions. And that's kind of the, the, the key is that balance to make sure that we don't lose our productivity um, and risk uh, impacting food security issues, but we still look at emissions. And, and so, yes, there are other ideas out there um but but in our opinion and in my opinion the the biggest bang for our buck so to speak is really uh with the the for our nutrient stewardship program it's been around for over a decade it's been well studied it has a lot of support within the agricultural communities it's been well researched um and we continue to invest in research and i think this is really our our best opportunity to make a significant impact
Some say that Fertilizer Canada is not so much a fan of 4R, but 3R and STIR, same to increased rates. What do you make of that? Uh, well, you know, rate has always been part of four R's. It's been uh, an important part of four R's. And, and, and again, this, this is a program that we put in place long before there was talk about uh, these various government initiatives. And we've always talked to farmers and promoted uh, farmers working closely with their crop advisors to ensure that they're only using the amount of fertilizer they need. And, and so I would say that the program speaks for itself. It's very, very important um, as part of the four R's that, that we look at rate. What happens if the government decides to not budge from its figure of 30%? Well, I, the government has been very clear that the target is um, it's voluntary and very ambitious. And, and so the way we've really been looking at this is that the government has sort of put out this directional kind of North Star uh, approach. They've also been very, very clear recently that there is no intention of putting a cap on fertilizer use. There's, they very much want to ensure that farmers can continue to be productive and increase their yields. And, and so um, in my mind, we just need to really focus on, on uh, getting down to work and see how far we can go between now and 2030. Is there any concern that the program could stop becoming voluntary and become compulsory at some point? That was certainly our concern at the beginning. Whenever government puts out a, an initiative or a target or indicates a, a desire for for any sector to move in a certain way, the concern is if you don't actually move in that direction or you don't achieve what the government wanted, what do they do next? But I think through the, the conversation that has been happening since the government first introduced this, I think there's a bit of a realization um, that we really do need to balance um, food production and emissions reductions and ensure that, that um, one doesn't uh, negatively affect uh, the other. And I think the government has come to that that realization. So my hope is that we can continue to work very collaboratively with the government. And I think the first step is really um, sitting down with government and farmers in particular and farm groups to find out and have the discussion about what is really achievable and what are those barriers to implementing uh, the 4R advanced practices. For you, from your perspective at Fertilizer Canada, what are those barriers to adoption that you are either seeing or hearing from members and other industry groups beyond? Well, so if you think about it, um, while we believe implementation of the 4R um, stewardship program does result in benefits back to the farmer, so we, the farmer, as, as I mentioned, the, the program was designed uh, to really help boost productivity while managing emissions, all of the upfront risk lies with the farmers. These um, new practices, uh, some of them come at, at quite a, a large cost to the farmers, and so they have to um, bear that cost until they see the return. And as you would probably know, um, farming is 
is a, a risky business in itself. You don't know whether you're going to get that uh, good growing season, whether you're going to be able to benefit from those returns. And, and so we certainly need to find ways to uh, address that, that risk. Um, but I think it's also important really to talk to the farmers to find out what those barriers are. Is it uh, the need for more education around these practices? Is it the need for more availability of uh, programs or funding? Um, is it the ability to, to compete in the, on the carbon market? Um, those are things that we are sort of floating out there to the government, but, but really wanting to have that conversation directly with those who will be tasked to, to implement this because it's only their their voices and, and really their thoughts that, that are going to, to help us shape a program that makes sense. What is the big message from Fertilizer Canada to the federal government regarding this proposed 30% emissions reduction target? Well, I think our, our big message certainly coming out of our study is, is that, um, you know, we, we certainly think that there is room to move in, in a very positive direction when it comes to emissions reduction. Um, we've identified what we think is a very reasonable target, but really we want to now sit down with the government, with farm groups, with farmers to, to figure out, you know, how far we can, we can push this. And, and I think, you know the the key message right from the beginning has always been that we certainly support the efforts and the initiatives and the leadership of the government to try and reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions. Nobody feels climate change more than than farmers do, but let's make sure we we address this in a practical and pragmatic way that that ensures the farmers can continue to to be profitable and and that Canada can continue to play such an important role um, in, in global food security. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau has had a relatively quiet stint as the country's ag minister. That is, until recently. The fertilizer emissions reductions target has thrust this topic into dinnertime conversation with just about every Canadian. After all, we all eat food and it's all produced by farmers. These days, Bebo is quick to point out the targets are voluntary and whatever farmers can do is whatever farmers can do. She spoke in detail about emerging clean tech that can help farmers and present other ideas that she and her government believe will lessen the carbon footprint of Canadian agriculture. Just off the top, Minister, in your own words, please explain the proposed emissions reduction program. Well, we know that farmers are doing their best uh, to make sure that their soil will remain healthy for next year and next gen generation. But we are facing a climate crisis, and we have seen last year, uh, you know, the obvious impact on farmers of a drought or of a flood. So this is why we really all have to double down and to join forces to make sure that uh, all producers uh, do adopt the best practices, have access to the right inputs, have access and can afford uh, the technologies that will allow them to be both um, to reduce their emissions while increasing yields because we want to fight against this uh, climate crisis and we also want to feed Canadians and the world. So for this, our, produ uh, our producers 
need to have the access to the right inputs and technologies. Now, where did this go sideways, though? Because many farmers feel confused, angry, upset about what they perceive to be an attack on their livelihood. Um, some are going as far to even suggest that the reductions number is simply an arbitrary target. We know how important the work of our producers, uh, farmers and ranchers is, and we want to be there to support them. And once again, we've seen last year the impact of the flood and the droughts. This is the biggest threat to our agriculture, and this is why we have to join forces and fight against it. So this is why we are putting money uh, where our mouth is. <laughs> we are investing more than $1.5 billion uh, to allow farmers to transition toward the best practices, including the 4R, for example. And uh, I think it's by working together with the province, with the industry, with the farmers individually, that we will be able to make our agriculture always more sustainable, uh, but also more resilient uh, in the face of these extreme weather events and making sure that uh, we, we can feed Canadians and feed the world. How was the 30% number decided? And, and what is that based on? There are detractors who suggest it was simply pulled from thin air. Well, you will hear some say that it's not enough. Others would say that it's too much. Uh, I think that working with our colleagues at Environment Canada and, you know, all the work, the consultation work we're doing with the industry, uh, we are trying to have uh, an ambitious target for sure, ambitious but still realistic. And there's so much we know already and that we want to be sure to share this information so all as many farmers as possible do, you know, apply, once again, these good practices and technologies. But we are also investing significantly in research and innovation. And I'm pretty sure that there will be new practices that we will know about in a, in a few months or, you know, a couple of years that will also allow us to help us to, to reach this objective. Uh, there will be new technologies as well that will develop and become uh, accessible to farmers. So this is not a mandatory target. Uh, this is, you know, a target that we can all be looking at and, you know, just working together and fi finding the best ways uh, to move in the right direction. Now, how is the emissions reduction actually different than a total uses reduction if there are currently no fertilizers or products available that emit 30% less than what is commercially available today? I think it's a mix of many things. Uh, we know that just by applying the 4R, uh, we can reduce significantly the emissions uh, by using um, alternative fertilizer or cover cropping. Or there, and, and there are also technologies that are being developed. Precision agriculture is one, uh, which is not necessarily accessible to everyone or, you know, the, the type of agriculture that we do across the country is not necessarily applicable. Uh, we, can, we cannot necessarily uh, be able to apply uh, this, the same type of precision agriculture, but there are different ways to achieve it. And I'm sure that 
more is to come. We are investing so significantly in research and innovation. Uh, more is to come and will help us uh, reach this objective. Fertilizer Canada and other industry suggest that only 14%, uh, only a 14% reduction is possible by 2030. That's just under half of what the government wants. What do you make of that? Well, this is with what we already know. And uh, it is a, a very big step in the right direction. One of the challenges is also to rally as many farmers as possible because we are almost, we have almost 200,000 farmers across the country and it's many, many of them are already, uh, applying, you know, you know about the best practices and are doing, you know, the best that can be done. But there are many more that can join the movement and that will help us, uh, make a difference. So this is, you know, there's so much we can do with what we already know, but let's uh, get a greater number of farmers to, to join forces and also believe in and in, in keep investing in research and innovation and make sure that the results of this work will be shared and will be known by the farmers so they can put these new practices and technologies in place. Recently, you have suggested farmers adopt other practices to achieve that remaining 16%, things such as cover cropping, intercropping, legumes in rotation, less tillage, manure, compost, these sorts of things. Aren't farmers already employing these kinds of tactics on their farms? I know that many farmers already apply uh, all these good practices, but many others don't. And this is why we are investing on the On-Farm Climate Action Fund, for example, providing direct financial incentives to farmers to de-risk uh, this transition toward new practices. And uh, this is why we have our living labs, for example, that bring uh, scientists in the field with farmers to be able to understand the impact of different type, different practices and it also understanding the way it applies in different regions of the country because we all know that the country is big, the way we do agriculture is different, uh, and we also have to take this into consideration. Minister, what do you envision for 2030 given that this program is described as voluntary? I think we have to look at it in a positive way altogether. Um, we have to fight against climate change and farmers know that. They are the first one to be impacted by that. They are looking for the best practices that will make them resilient in the face of these extreme weather events. So I know they are there. They get it. And I don't want to scare them with a target. I want to motivate them with a target. This is the idea. It is, you know, if if it's not measured, it's not done. So we have to, you know, give ourselves a target and, and measure the progress so we can really reach uh, the greatest uh, success at the end of the day. So let's look at this in a positive way, in a challenging way, of course. But this is for the best of the of the industry. This is the best uh, for the best of family farms. And, uh, I mean, the world is turning to Canada. The, the world needs uh, Canadian foods because they know it's high quality 
uh, and they know we have a sustainable agriculture and we are a trusted partner. And in these time of even a war right now in Europe, uh, we know that Canada needs uh, the, the world needs Canada, and uh, we got to be extremely sustainable to 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 be there and 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 supply. Do you ever envision a day where this emissions reduction program would not be voluntary but compulsory? I'm quite confident that farmers and you know through their association and the the industry as a whole uh can see their benefit in a sustainable agriculture and we will all join forces and do our very best and this is absolutely not our intention to move forward with regulation uh we want this target to be uh a motivation uh to really do the best we can uh, and join forces in order to reach this target the 1.5 billion plus in various incentive programs to reduce emissions. Tell us about those and when you expect to see tangible results and and reductions stemming from those programs. Well, reducing our emissions doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it's through the adoption of good practices and after you know uh, a couple of years that we can really see. Uh, the impact and also see the increase in yields because good, good practices also increase yields, reduce the cost of input and is, is good for the environment. So this is, uh, this is all, all positive, but it's not something that is happening overnight. Um, so we have launched the on-farm climate action fund to provide direct financial incentive to producers for them to adopt these good practices. We have launched the clean technology uh, program as well to allow farmers to be able to, to afford new technology that would be uh, energy efficient and reduce emissions in different ways. Um, and actually last spring in the latest budget, we got additional money for these two funds. So we are uh, looking at the results uh, of what we uh, the, the way we have uh, launched these programs as a first phase, and based on this experience, based on the consultation we are doing right now uh, on uh, our target to reduce emissions uh, caused by uh, by fertilizer. So we will be learning from all of that and making sure that the additional money we got uh, will will serve. Uh, our farmers the best way possible. It's a thorny topic. It's a subject that is both complex and nuanced. While 2030 seems distant and far up into the future, it's really just a handful of harvests away. While the government continues to pump billions of dollars into new and emerging technology for farmers to help them lessen their dependence on high carbon farming solutions, whatever the answer is, they're going to need to come up with those solutions sooner rather than later for targets to be met. And that's it for another edition of the Grains West podcast. Thanks for listening. You can read the digital edition of the magazine at grainswest.com.